Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Joe Willock to my Chris Willock. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm feeling a lot better than how you look at the moment. What, what are you trying to say? <laughs> you've, uh, you've, sh- you've shaved all your facial hair, which is always absolutely startling to see when you don't have yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I look a lot younger. It looks like I've just stepped into a time machine. But it was one of those occasions, I think every man has been through it at some point, where you've grown a bit of stubble, you try to trim it, and you make an absolute clangor while doing it, and the whole thing's just got to come off. And and now I look hideous. So what can I say? Yeah, everyone's got to see your face now, which, you know, good luck for everyone seeing these clips. Uh, you know, we like to put these clips out on social, and everyone's got to see your face now, your actual yes. face. It gives everyone else another reason to roast me, apart from my horrendous <laughs> football opinions. Uh, welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Before we start, actually, we should point out, I've heard back from Louis from the Baggies podcast. He did eventually get back into his home. He didn't have yeah. to spend a few days on the street homeless. That's for a reference to the weekend's episode where he got locked outside of his house. But I'm told he's okay now. People will be glad to hear. Uh, on the show this week, we're going to look back on the Derby the QPR game from Monday night. We're going to look ahead to some of the games coming up this weekend in the Championship. Some big, big games as well. I can tell you that for sure. We're going to give our predictions for the weekend's games, uh, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with a Craig Bryson pub quiz. Justin tells me, ladies and gentlemen, it's the best one he's ever done, which is a big old billing, JP. I can't wait. Honestly, I'm so excited. I've got quotes and everything. It is going to be spectacular. <laughs> this, could, this could be horrendous. I can just see it now. It's going to be an absolute disaster. But before we get underway, dear listener, let me tell you about our friends at FansBet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. You can get a terrific welcome offer of bet £10, get £30 plus 10 free spins when you sign up using the link in the description of this podcast. UK mobile registrations only, terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site, 18 plus, please do gamble responsibly. Visit begamblerware.org for more info and do also check out FansBet responsible gambling tools. We'll begin things with the game from Friday, from Friday night, Monday night, Derby against QPI. It finished 2-1 to Rangers. All three goals were beautiful in their own right but without a doubt the best was the winner Andre Gray two touches before volleying it home right at the death Justin is that a goal of the season contender for you I think based on his his technique alone it absolutely was but I I do have to say all three goals were subject to some pretty poor defending let's be honest that's harsh (laughs) Justin that is harsh I I, honestly I thought they were I thought um, the first one uh, Tom Lawrence's goal I thought he shouldn't have been allowed to slip straight in I thought the second one he's got it was a good pass, but you've got three centre-halves there who've not tracked one one player's run. It's, it's not good enough. Um, and then you've got, um, it was Elias Chen. No, it was Chris Willock being left at the back post all alone, um, com- completely unmarked, which is poor. And then Andre Gray, he's got three players around him and he's taken two tr- two touches to then swivel and turn and shoot. Um, yeah, defending was a lot to be desired. But Andre's Gray, his goal was absolutely fantastic. That, to do that in the last minute is, yeah, speaks volumes of his quality. I think you're being harsh. I think the second goal, I can I can accept that. QPR's first, that is. I can accept that the mark in there was a bit disastrous because uh, Chris Willock was the only player in the box and there were five Derby players in there and he somehow managed to get on the end of that cross. So that one I can understand. The first one, I think, was a beautiful pass. The third one, 
I thought was just a beautiful goal. I've, I've seen Derby fans say that players, the Derby players should have been getting closer to Andre Gray, but I don't think they could have done much, to be quite honest, because I think by the time he's turned and hit it, hmm. if you imagine a Derby player charging at him, then I still think they would have struggled to get near him because it was just a beautiful bit of skill. And then to connect with the volley like that was just oh, marvellous, Justin. It's a definite goal of the season contender for me. I, I think it is. I, I do think it is a goal of the season contender, but any defender at any age is taught to be touched tight in the box. You've got Nathan Byrne who almost watches him because it's not a, a clean first touch he takes Andre Gray. It's quite a loose one, which allows him to swivel and, and, and tee up the half volley. Nathan Byrne's got to be touched tight and Liam Thompson's got to close that gap. Just got to make it awkward for him. If he pulls it off, still it's fantastic. But you just got to make it a little bit harder for him. And they didn't do that. And um, that's where the frustration is really. But nonetheless, very good goal. Goal of the season contender, I agree. Definitely. Tom Lawrence's finish also for the first goal. <laughs> he has found the top bin from that kind of range. is just phenomenal. Uh, I still thought it was going over even when it hit the back of the net. <laughs> it was such an incredible finish. Um, then Chris Willock's volley, admittedly the marking wasn't great, but that was great too. Um, shock, I'm praising Chris Willock again. Actually, being serious for a second, Justin, I think I've praised Chris Willock's performance for the past four straight episodes now because he, mm. he has just been unbelievable this past month. And he has been probably the best player in the championship for the past month or so. There's definitely some debate to be had there, but I'd argue he's been QBR's best player going forwards in the last month. Say he's the best championship player. Yeah, the, the, again, there's, there's argument, but nonetheless, he, he's been brilliant. He has been fantastic. I think he's a player who's proven his quality and given that he cost, <clears throat> he cost 750,000 and his brother cost 20 odd million and he seems to be the, the better Willock. Um, I think QPR have got a very good deal there. Without a doubt, they've got a very good deal there. It's just the sheer consistency that you have an attacking player performing at. You just mm. don't find it very often. And he has been QPR's best player now, for, as I say, the past month. Um, and he, he's been doing it before that anyway. But the fact he just seems to be getting better and better is scary. And very, very good for QPR. But looking at the game, Justin, I thought Derby were the better team in the majority of the first half. Then QPR scores early in the second half. And after that, it felt like it was only going one way. Would you agree with that? I'd agree with it. I thought both teams were quite poor throughout the game, to be honest. I know Derby probably edged the first half, but they didn't really create any chances. Neither did QPR. I think QPR, when they counter-attacked in the second half, looked quite dangerous. But again... They weren't really passing with any purpose um, throughout the game, really, and it wasn't until um, sort of the last twenty minutes where they kicked it up a gear because Derby were committing playing fo uh, players forwards. But yeah, I was a bit disappointed with both sides. I don't think either side got into any sort of gear. It was quite a pedestrian game at times, but still, it's a massive win for QPR. And we we talk about QPR getting points without playing well. Um, we're saying um, they've been in third gear pretty much all season. Still second, third gear in this game, managed to get a result. I, it's just quite scary as to how how good they can possibly get and um, how how much they can progress throughout the season. Because as I say, if they're winning games, not playing well, Christ, what are they going to do when they do, do when they do play well? Exactly, they're up to third now after three straight wins, and we've spoken a lot about the automatic promotion race and whether it's much of a race at all. Right now, keeping on looking like the main challenges to Bournemouth and Fulham, aren't they? Because of other teams dropping off, but QPR are the one team who has seemed to be consistently getting results on the board and uh, the only one really 
proving any sort of a challenge now for Bournemouth and Fulham. And dare I say that Bournemouth and Fulham are playing each other this weekend. <laughs> Could be a chance for QPR to make some ground. But Derby, only the 19 points from safety now. To be fair, coming out the other side of Bournemouth, Fulham and QPR with anything would have been good enough. So I suppose getting four, there's still some hope of potentially mounting the impossible. Um. The impossible, the impossible. Did I say impossible? I meant it. Oh yeah, sorry. That, that's, that's bad English. That is right. I expected better from you. Anyway. Yeah, I, I was in, I was in, I was in, a, I was in two minds. I was going to say unbelievable, then decided to go with impossible, and it came out impossible. Carry on. Um, yeah, I think it could be possible if they've got to, they've got to get four points. Um, well, they've got to collect two points a game. It's, it's got to be playoff form, hasn't it? It's going to be difficult considering they've dropped, I think, around 18, 19 points from winning positions so far this season. It tells you exactly the issues that they have. Obviously, if they've got better squad depth, I think they close games out much, much easier. Um, but it, it all depends on what happens in the next month. If if the administrators can pull the fingers out and get deals over the line with, with the takeover, then I think Derby, they could stay up, but... I think at the moment they can't. Yeah, too many big ifs around, yeah. isn't there, for it to still be a serious proposition at the moment. Let's look ahead to this weekend, Justin, and there's only one place to start. Probably the biggest game of the season so far. Actually, am I kidding? It is the biggest game of the season <laughs> so far, isn't it? It's Reading v Hull. Um, I'm joking, it's Fulham. <laughs> 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 I was looking at my notes, I was like, I've not done any notes on that game. <laughs> it doesn't get any bigger than this, really, does it, Justin? Here's a question for you. With both struggling for wins recently, what would it mean to either side to get a win here against your biggest rival for the title? It's a big statement, isn't it? Um, it's a big statement to the rest of the di- uh, division because it just tells you that they mean business. Um, and as well as that, you've got both sides here who are struggling for, for players' fitness. You've got Fulham with the illness outbreak. You hope that they see the, the back end of it now. With Bournemouth, they've got the likes of Gary Cahill, Lloyd Kelly. They've both been missing in, in previous weeks. Um, so they, they're almost patched up squads, aren't they? Um, so as well as that, it, it, it's it's a good indicator as to where these, these two teams are in terms of how good their squad depth is. Um, so if either side picks up a result, then you can, you can argue that one of the sides that do win will go on to win the championship because that's the indicator, as I say, for squad depth. Yeah, well, it's so close at the moment, isn't it? And getting, you know, a three-point gap on or gaining three points on your rivals because it is a six-pointer at the end of the day, isn't it? Mm. Get, getting that will be massive in the grand scheme of things, and it's going to be a good game, I imagine, because both like to play with the ball on the ground, don't they? Both like to attack, um, but are equally really good at the defensive stuff as well. So mm-hmm. it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this game pans out. But I think at the same time, if because both have been struggling for wins in the past week or so, it could really derail your opposition if you manage to get a win here against the team nearest to you for the title, while at the same time it could get the other one back on track. So it's mm-hmm. massive in that respect. A big boost for Bournemouth heading into this weekend will be Gary Cahill returning to the lineup. He missed the Coventry game at the weekend with a rib injury. Scott Parker said he wasn't even close to being fit enough for the game, but it's hopeful that he'll be back here. Having him would be big for Bournemouth, wouldn't it, Justin? Because he has been so important to their great defensive record. Yeah, his experience is, is uh, vital as well. You look at last week, um, the, the draw with Coventry, I think if Gary Cahill's in that side, I think they see it out. Um, and that's just yeah, having his experience and his quality and his know-how in that in that side. Um, it gives you 
a lot of confidence as well. And since he came into the team, you've mentioned that the defensive record has been ridiculous. I thought Steve Cook was a good player, but it shows how good Bournemouth against squad depth is if Gary Cahill's getting in ahead of Steve Cook, who would arguably walk into a lot of championship teams in, in, yeah, in the league. You know, Gary Cahill was excellent England international, there you go. Premier League winner, he Champions playing, League winner, Champions League winner, playing regular football for Palace last season. So mm-hmm. it, it, it does surprise me that no one picked him up um, prior to Bournemouth, but uh, nonetheless, it's been their gain and he has been absolutely fantastic, without a doubt. Fulham, on the other hand, they were very lacklustre in that game against Preston, weren't they? They really struggled to get a hold on the game. Much of the squad, as you say, had been struggling with illness, not COVID, it's worth pointing out, um, which could very well have played a part with how they were playing here. But if that illness is now gone, then we could see the Fulham of old. And if that happens, considering Bournemouth haven't been in the best of form recently, it could uh, go Fulham's way. That's the way I see it. Anyway, Justin, let's move on to the game on Saturday lunchtime. It's very interesting because it's two teams occupying the playoffs right now. Coventry against West Brom, both also struggling for wins. Neither have got three points since the last international break. What are you thinking ahead of this one, Justin? I'm thinking this is a massive game for West Brom, probably more so than it is for Coventry. I think because of Coventry's position and and what they've spent I don't think there's much pressure on them to get a result um but I think the when we talk about pressure I think it's I think it's growing on Valerie and Ishmael quite a bit uh, you know they, they've been in really poor form over the last god six six weeks um they've really struggled to to create chances really good chances on the regular um and as I say it's, it's a massive game for them if they get a result they need to get a result actually it's not an if they they have to get a result here um just to get the fans back on board again because as I say my discontent is starting to grow amongst supporters towards Ishmael and and as well as that the players have got to improve because they haven't been good enough so from their perspective it's, it's a massive massive game yeah, I think you absolutely spot on. I have actually seen reports from the past few days that Ishmael is under pressure because many members of the board aren't happy with how he's been doing. And I think many were probably expecting them to be more in the race for the top two than they are because they do look like they're drifting away from it. But the problems for West Brom are obvious, aren't they? They've got the joint best defensive record in the league. And while they're not completely misfiring in front of goal, their forwards could be doing a lot better couldn't they? We were talking about the reliance on Carlin Grant for consistent goals at the weekend. He's got eight. The next highest scorer in this team is three. Now, West Brom fans may talk about Ishmael's style of play not helping the forwards, but they have got the second highest expected goals going forwards. Better than Bournemouth's, it's worth pointing out. So they're creating chances. It's just not being taken. And mm-hmm. I don't think uh, Jordan Hugill's been helping with that. He's been getting a lot of stick. And it's hard to defend him, really. Hugel's average, ex- he's averaging 4.17 expected goals per actual goal. The worst in the division for any striker. For comparison, Hall's Josh McGuinness has the third worst record in the division. And he's got half of that. So the problem is, he's the closest they've got to a target man that Ishmael likes to play with. So he's mm-hmm. just clearly low on confidence. But it's not just him. Dean Garner's been really disappointing. Callum Robinson's gone off the ball. Matt Phillips isn't really a forward, but all of them are also looking low on confidence. And you could say that's the manager's fault. A good man manager would be able to get the best out mm-hmm. of talented players, wouldn't he? Because that's the only area of the team that's really letting them down at the moment. And it needs to be remedied. Otherwise, West Brom will continue to drift away from the race for the top two and maybe even out of the playoffs. But Coventry are the coming are the 
comeback kings, aren't they, after that remarkable comeback against Bournemouth. They've won more points from losing positions than anyone else. I do hold concerns over the Sky Blues, though, Justin. That's no discounting the job that Mark Robbins and the players have done so far, but I haven't been as impressed with them recently. It's almost like they're taking the foot off the gas a bit because... Well, it's reflecting in the underlying data. Chance creation is down. Victor Jokerez was scoring goals for fun earlier in the season, wasn't he? But mm-hmm. he's um, hasn't scored in nine games now. Heading into this game with a very sturdy West Brom defence. To be honest, I struggled to see Coventry scoring. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mentioned this not too long ago um, where I, I saw Coventry's performance levels dipping and I got quite a few pelters from, from Coventry fans. And... Um, you know, Coventry are up there for a reason. They've been very good this season. So if the performance levels do dip, um, then you know, we're gonna we're not gonna call it out, but we're gonna mention it. Um they deserve to be in the top six, but as you say, if they continue to play as they are, um teams are, are starting to score score goals against them, um, they're not creating as much themselves, they are gonna drop out of the top six. Now that might not be a, a, a terrible thing for Coventry but um, you look at Barnsley last season there are opportunities for teams who don't have massive budgets to get into the top six because I don't think the division is as strong as it used to be in terms of in terms of big spending clubs because they're all shackled by profit and sustainability so the smaller clubs with with a smaller budget can jump in there and Coventry fall into that category and as you say they have started to underperform a little bit. They're relying on Matty Godden um, to get the goals. I think the the winner, uh, sorry, the equaliser at the weekend was quite fortuitous with Todd Kane and his and his cross come come shot. So, yeah, they, they they have been a little bit fortunate at times. But I think I think this game's got nil 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 written all over it for me. I don't think West Brom are going to score, and I, I struggle to see Coventry getting past West Brom as well. Well, the stat I was just mentioning about Coventry winning the most points from losing positions. Of course, for them to get that stat, they've got to get in losing positions. So they've got to start better than they have done. Um, But still, let's not take anything away from Mark Robbins because him and the players are doing a fantastic job this season. Let's go to a game featuring two new managers, Justin Cardiff against Sheffield United. Two new managers who we weren't too impressed with prior to this weekend, Justin, but both showed promising signs and the game's just gone, didn't they? Yeah, I think this it's just internal appointments, isn't it? Internal appointments never inspire. Um, and that's why we were a little bit underwhelmed by them. But I think um, you saw Cardiff improve uh, at the weekend. You're starting to see what Morrison is trying to get out of the side. Um, you're starting to see that style sort of come into into the players, which is, which is really positive um, for Sheffield United. Sheffield United just played how this team should play. There's no sort of technical way or, or in-depth way of describing it players were in the positions that they were meant to play they were sometimes direct they were playing it out um they mixed the game up quite nicely and it's just how you expect a Sheffield United team to play with this level of personnel um which is what makes this game um quite quite an interesting one because can Sheffield United carry on that form can Cardiff keep those performance levels up and that's why yeah this one does create a lot of intrigue for me I'm really interested, particularly for Sheffield United, because if that performance at the weekend is a sign of things to come, then it's going to be a very positive season for Sheffield Mm -hmm. United after a really poor start. Because I I was so impressed with them, Justin. It honestly was night and day from the Ukanovic era. And it is just playing players in the right positions. (laughs) It's a simple simple thing, but it wasn't clearly that simple for the the former manager. Um, But Heckingbottom, he, he... 
they dominated the game. And I think that was down to Hekin Bottom and the style of play that he was wanting to play as well because he was getting the most out of the players there. You look at the mm-hmm. likes of Morgan Gibbs-White, they were getting the ball into his feet and on his day he is one of the most talented players in the division without a doubt. So getting the ball into his feet and you make things happen. Simple as that. So um, hopefully this is a sign of things to come for Sheffield United and they can get back into the sort of position many people are expecting at the start of the season. For Cardiff, one player I'm really looking forward to see more of is Ruben Colwell. Someone I've been wanting to see more of throughout the season and Morrison's really giving him the chance now. And it is interesting because he's becoming a bit of a goal threat for Cardiff, Justin. He obviously scored at the weekend, but he has been looking quite threatening prior to that too. Because he's in this front three and it's really giving him the freedom to roam and cause as many problems as possible for the opposition. And we've said it before, I don't understand why he wasn't getting more of a look in under Mick McCarthy because he's the best attacking midfielder they've got despite him being so young. And Mm. it's just bonkers for me that he barely started under McCarthy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a strange one. I go back to that Cardiff game where he came on and, and Cardiff game? It's Cardiff. Cardiff Forest game where he came on um when they were one 0 down and and he changed the game for, for, for Cardiff. I thought it was fantastic. Um and he's that sort of player who is perfect for someone like Kiefer Moore. Kiefer Moore's gonna get the ball into him, whether that be his head, chest or feet, and he's gonna bring other players into it. And you've got Cobble who's very good at operating in those in those spaces and around the box as well as that he's very good inside the box as well. He's um, sort of like a second striker in a way, where he's not quite a number ten, not creative, uh, not quite creative as a number ten. He's not quite a centre forward either. Just operates in between, a bit like David McGoldrick, which again, this is what makes the game more intriguing because um, formation wise, they're going to line up fairly similar as well um, to Sheffield United. But yeah, Ruben Cobble's been been sort of a breakout star for Cardiff this season. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more because we've only had him for a few months so far. So what he can do over the next few months is um, it's going to be yeah, good to see. Absolutely. Justin, let's finish with the Lancashire derby this weekend. Blackburn at home to Preston. This used to be Preston's main derby until Blackpool were back in town, but Preston will still be keen to get the bragging rights here. But it's a tricky task, isn't it? Because Blackburn, one of the form teams in the division and pretty good at home, only lost twice at Ewood Park this season, while Preston, one of the worst away records in the division. But to be fair to them, have had a couple of decent results in the past week, haven't they? Yeah, Preston have showed quite a lot of grit, shall we say, in the last um, in the last couple of weeks. You go back to that Borough game um, last week, but didn't deserve to get anything from it, but they they fought and fought and fought and, and got a result. Um, and then you go to, uh, go to the Fulham game at the weekend; they were brilliant. Um, I thought they were really good. And if they can take that into this game against Blackburn, then it's going to be a very uncomfortable game for Rovers. Um, and as for Blackburn, you know how we know how good they are at going for uh, going forwards. It's just whether or not they can they can cope with that physical battle Preston are going to bring because if Preston can bring that from the Fulham game into this one against Blackburn, then yeah, it's going to be a very, very tasty fixture of quite a few yellows. Absolutely. Let's take a break, Justin. After that, we'll give our predictions for the rest of the weekend's games. Talk about some of the news from the past few days and finish off with the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast and we're now going to give our predictions for the coming weekend in the Championship and that's because we've teamed up with the Skybet EFL Rewards app. What's that, I hear you ask? Well, it's the app which rewards you for just being a fan of a team in the best league. 
in the world. And because it's December, the season of giving, they're giving away a whole host of prizes to fans, including Puma EFL match balls, codes for Football Manager 2020, and, get this, you can win the price of a season ticket which isn't bad at all, is it? Fancy getting your hands on these prizes? Well, all you have to do is download the app, play the predictor game and select win, lose or draw across the games this weekend. And Skybet EFL Rewards will be rewarding the winners who predict the most correct results. This is the best bit. It's absolutely free. So you may as well, might you? You can find a link to the app in the description of this episode. So do that now. Let's make our predictions, Justin. We've already talked about some of the games from this coming weekend, but let's look ahead to them in terms of the scores. So the big one, Justin, Fulham v Bournemouth. What are you saying? Bournemouth 2-1. You don't need to give me a score. Just just who you think is going to win or draw. Uh, I, I, I'm going Fulham, you know. I, I think Fulham for me. Uh, Coventry, West Brom. It's going to be a tasty one. I, I'll go. I'll go draw. I've already said draw. Draw. Yeah, I'll go draw as well. Barnsley, Huddersfield. Huddersfield. Huddersfield for me as well. Blackburn, Preston. Blackburn. Yeah, I'll go Blackburn. Blackpool, Luton. Draw. Both aren't in the best of form, are they at the moment? No. Oh, I fancy Luton in that one. Bristol City, Derby. I, I heard that as Bristol City Derby. Bristol Rovers, what? Uh, Derby. I'll go draw. Cardiff, Sheffield United. Uh, Sheffield United. I think I'll go Sheffield United as well. Borough, Swansea. Swansea. I'll mm. go Borough. Millwall, Birmingham. Millwall. Go Rowett, Derby. You go Millwall. I will go... I'll go draw. Forest, Peterborough. Ooh, Forest. Yeah, Forest, Peter, awful away from home. Uh, Reading, Hull. I'll go draw. I'll go Hull. The Tigers mm. can't be stopped at the moment. And finally, QPR Stoke on Sunday. I will go, I'll go QPR. Stoke's, Stoke are missing a lot of players. Yeah, I'll also go for QPR. So that is our predictions for the championship this coming weekend. Make sure you download the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Make your predictions and you can win some brilliant brilliant prizes right now it's time for this yes it's time for the news and we'll begin with this justin eurosport say leeds are going to make a serious push to sign ben brereton diaz in january the chilean sensation is of course out of contract at the end of the season this is a really interesting one isn't it justin because do blackburn cash in or not on BBD in January, or do they go to go for broke and have a serious crack at the playoffs? What do you think? Uh, first thought is I've completely forgot Eurosport existed, so thanks for bringing that back into my life. Right. <laughs> um, secondly, uh, yeah, Blackburn are in a sort of difficult position coming into January. If they can, um, if they can get contracts done and dusted, then yeah. But look, they, they've got a month to do it, which is isn't going to be easy. So you might be thinking they might try and cash in on a couple of those players. Um, for Ben Brandt and Diaz, I'd keep him until the end of the season because I think he's going to be the difference between them possibly finishing in the top six and not finishing in the top six. you got to remember, Blackburn paid a lot of money for Brandt exactly. and Diaz when they mm-hmm. initially got him. So in terms of a business sense, I suppose it makes sense to sell now in January, especially while his stock is high because you never know, his form could just drop off in the second half of the season. True. Um, 
For me personally, I struggled to see Blackburn actually finishing in the top six. But if they manage to build up a healthy, you know, amount in January through selling players who are out of contract, then it may help them in the long term to, um, you know, build again for the future. So I'd probably say sell, unfortunately, although I love watching Brereton Diaz at the moment because he is so, so good to watch. According to the Express and Star, Robert Snodgrass has been told he can leave West Brom. The 34-year-old's only played a handful of games for the Baggies this season. I think Snoddy could be quite a handy player for another championship side, Justin, only 34. I think for most of the championship teams, he could be quite handy. His his left foot's very, very good um, and he's never been blessed with pace. So I think a lot of teams might might have a a look at him and inquire because, as I say, yeah, he can definitely do a job. Yeah, 100%. If you have a big, tall striker up front and you're struggling for goals, get Snodgrass on. Cardiff. Cardiff, there you go. He can put the ball on a sixpence, can't he, when he's on the set piece or when it comes to crosses. So, yeah, get him in. Why not? The Barnsley Chronicle says former captain Jacob Butterfield has been training with the club and he would love to return as a player or coach. Why have you raised your eyebrows there, Justin? Well, yeah, I have lots of things to say about Jacob Butterfield. It's just not worked out since he moved to Derby and I think he should maybe try and drop down the leagues just to get game time. I don't think he's quite cut it for the championship level anymore I don't know um I yeah I've got I don't know much not much to say about him I'm not not very impressed with him to be honest so. the only thing I remember from him is that story about him yeah. and his wife's toes I don't want to misquote it now hang on a second when I find it Jacob Butterfield wife's toes <laughs> found it according to the sun Jacob Butterfield was arrested at his own engagement party over his fiance's big toe. <laughs> Jacob Butterfield was infuriated after some of his fiance's family were nibbling at her toe while she sat on a sofa. Yeah, this is a strange story. Very where, strange. Where, where do you go with that? Um, hmm. Shall we move on, Justin? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. According to The Athletic, Andy Cavill is being paid just £1,000 a week to play for Reading. He's only signed a two-month deal with the club. That's quite interesting, isn't it, Justin? He's doing it on the cheap for the Royals. Well, he needs to get his career back going. Um, so, any, you know, I mean, he's probably made a lot of money anyway over the last 10 years playing for the likes of Liverpool, Newcastle, West Ham, and what have you in the Premier League. Um, so, I don't think finances are the top of his priority list. So, yeah, getting him back playing football is the main thing. And he's hopefully doing that. If he can stay injury free, then he's going to be an interesting watch for the rest of the season. Well, I mean, he's out of contract in the middle of January. He played, he played bloody well at the weekend. So, I wonder if. Maybe another club might be looking at him thinking, actually, this guy can still do a job. Obviously, it comes with the caveat of Andy Cavill and injuries. Um, but, I mean, he's only not hes not asking for much either, is he? So, maybe <laughs> might be getting a bit of interest from elsewhere. Sky Sports say Bournemouth, Forest and Stoke are interested in signing Tottenham youngster Dylan Marconde, who's out of contract at the end of the season. Meanwhile, the Mirror also say West Brom are interested. And finally, former Coventry manager John Sillett has died at the age of 85. He's best known for winning the FA Cup with the Sky Blues in 1987. He also represented them as a player and also played for Chelsea. We, of course, send our best wishes to his family. Right now, time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. 
Indeed it is, Mr. Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week it's Justin's turn to give me six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. I've just got to guess who that bugger is. The score currently is 5-4 to myself. I can't remember the last time one of us didn't get one right. We are hmm. surely proving our credentials as championship experts, Justin. But uh, let's see if you can put that to a, the test this week. You promised me this is a very good one. So I'm expecting big things here. Right, can I have the first clue, please? You can. I will just add that I've, I've got quotes in, in amongst the clues. So there's, there's the clues, but the quotes, just because I couldn't leave them out. Wonderful. First clue. I made 361 appearances, scoring 41 goals. Dean Whitehead. No. Next one. I started my career at Celtic before I joined Sunderland in 2006, where I played a key part in the title-winning campaign. Ooh, I feel like I should know that. Is it? Oh, um, oh, there's a striker whose name I've completely forgot. Actually, I don't think he played 300 games. Okay, next one. I then moved on to Preston, where I tore up for two years before leaving for Burnley. I really should know this, shouldn't I? Preston, two years, and then went to Burnley. Mm. Ross Wallace? That's, you can't, you can't that's, test me on these things. That was so... <laughs> they were so vague, and the middle of his career... <sighs> you you kind of gave away, because I was just thinking players who went from Preston to Burnley, and he was the only one who came to mind. Completely, completely forgot he played for Sunderland. I completely forgot he played for Preston. That's, yeah. That's, what yeah, were, what were the very, other clues? I, I'm guessing. I, this is where before. it gets interesting now. God. All sorry, right. The next, sorry to the next clue. I should have carried on. I've just been unaware. Here we go. During my time at Burnley, I won a promotion to the Premier League, but most notably, I was subject to a death hoax in October 2013 when Twitter what? users tweeted that I died in a car crash. Four what? months later, four months later, I spoke in an interview about the tweet where I was left bemused. When was this? October 2013. So this was during the season, and he was subject to a death hoax in which supporters were surely, well, Twitter users were surely corrected by him playing subsequent <laughs> games. It just turns up, it's the ghost of Ross Wallace playing for Burnley. Honestly, it's, yeah, social media in a nutshell. That was the first interesting one. Uh, next one. I then signed for Sheffield Wednesday, where I was slated for celebrating the sacking of Carlos Carvalho and this is where the quote comes in so you've appeared on a podcast and told this story so Carlos Carvalho comes in after a defeat enters the dressing room and he just lays into the players and then he does this this is quote Ross, Ross Wallace he turns around faces the wall he's got the top band specs on that still have the glass in it he puts them on that's one of the funniest things I've ever seen he puts them on and goes this is the new me and with his top man shades on <laughs> I was sat next to Gary Hooper and under the table we were trying not to laugh <laughs> please tell me there's one more clue yeah there, there is it's not as good unfortunately but basically I was well known for taking my shirt off scoring goals being sent off three times in my career because of it but people may best know me for my actions against Huddersfield Town where I removed yeah. tactical instructions from Michael Heffaly's hands yeah 
Was it Michael Affleck? No, it was. Yeah, um, I think it was. It was, oh, it was Kachunga. Yeah, yeah, it was Kachunga. I swear yeah, it was Affleck. Affleck. Past it, Kachunga. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that was a legendary moment in the championship in terms of pure shit right? And that's mm-hmm. the best I remember. Also scored some bloody good goals. Did Ross? Uh, yes, some absolute curlers with his left foot. Oh, Very yeah. good left foot. Very good left foot. Um, and that's about it for us on the second tier, ladies and gentlemen, this week. We'll be back again on Sunday, and it's going to be quite a late release of the episode, I'm afraid, because there's a half-two kickoff on Sunday afternoon. What have we done to deserve this, Justin? I just don't know. Make sure you download the EFL Rewards app to uh, get your predictions in and win some great prizes this coming weekend. Otherwise, we'll be back again on Sunday. This has been the second tier. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.